Hello everyone, I'm Kim and I'm reading the Bible tonight. Uh, we have two readings. So the first one is Psalm 49 from verse 1 to 20. And then we're moving over to 1 Corinthians, starting at chapter 1 through to verse 18, and then chapter 2 to verse 5. So starting with Psalm 49. Okay. Hear this, all you peoples, listen, all who inhabit the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth speaks wisdom, my heart's meditation brings understanding. I turn my ear to a proverb, I explain my, my riddle with a lie. Why should I fear in times of trouble? The iniquity of my foes surrounds me. They trust in their wealth and boast of their abundant riches. Yet these cannot redeem a person or pay his ransom to God, since the price of redeeming him is too costly. One should forever stop trying so that he may live forever and not see the pit. For one can see that the wise die, the foolish and stupid also pass away. Then they leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their permanent homes. Their dwellings from generation to generation though they have named estates after themselves. But despite his assets, mankind will not last. He is like the animals that perish. This is the way of those who are arrogant and of their followers, who approve of their words. Like sheep, they are headed for Sheol. Death, death will shepherd them. The upright will rule over them in the morning, and their form will waste away in Sheol, far from their lofty abode. But God will redeem me from the power of Sheol, for he will take me. Do not be afraid when a person gets rich, when the wealth of his house increases. For when he dies, he will take nothing at all. His wealth will not follow him down. Though he blesses himself during his lifetime, and you are claimed when you do well for yourself, he will go to the generation of his ancestors. They will never see the light." Mankind with his assets, but without understanding, is like the animals that perish. And now over to 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, starting at, uh, through, starting at verse 18, sorry. Okay, verse 18. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. For the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective, 
not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish to the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification and redemption, in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not, might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. Well, hello, every person. Good to see you all here. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, your word is precious and uh, we want to know what it means because we know it's, it's your word and it's your word to us. And so, Father, we ask as we come to look at this passage that you would help us that you would teach us, that you would guide us, and that as we understand more of who Jesus is and what the cross is, that we would treasure him more. And we pray that in his name. Amen. Well, when you make any kind of choice, you, you have some decision that you need to make. There's always, almost always, at least three questions that you need to ask and answer. The first one is, is this what I really want? Two, what will it cost? And three, am I able to pay that cost? Almost every choice that you have to make, you will ask those three questions in some form. You know, if you want to run a marathon, you need to ask, is this what I really want? And for most of us, the answer is no. It's not. But even if it is, you still have to ask, what will it then cost me and am I willing to pay that cost? If you want to learn a new hobby, you want to learn how to paint or you want to learn how to play a musical instrument or you want to learn how to paint musical instruments, you've got to work out, is this what I really want and what will it cost me and am I willing to pay that cost? And it's the same with almost everything. If you want a relationship, if you need to build a house, renovate a house, you want a certain job or a certain HSC mark, you have to ask, is this what I really want? What will it cost me? And can I pay that cost? And no matter what area of life it is, if the answer to question one is no, it's not what I really want, or if the answer to question three is no, I can't really afford to pay that. If either of those are no, you really then have two options. You can either leave it and find something else, or you can proceed and you just know you're going to end up with a big problem. If it's not what you really want, or if it's what you can't afford, it's going to end badly. And for 
many of us, the crisis comes when we hit the no to one of those two questions. And for many people, a crisis comes when we hit a no to that question spiritually. Some of us in this room, maybe once ago, you thought to yourself, I want to get to know God. I want to be friends with him. I want a relationship with him. I want forgiveness from him. I want life with him, eternal life with him. That's what I want. Question one, tick. And then it's question two and three. What will that cost and who has to pay it? And today I want us to look at those two those two questions, what will it cost and who has to pay it? And it would be fair to say that probably most of us probably know the answer to that. We want a relationship with God. What will it cost and who's going to pay it? The answer is Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the answer. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that Kim read out for us, we Paul says that the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks are looking for wisdom. But Paul says instead he preaches Christ crucified, a stumbling block for Jews and foolishness for the Greeks. And then in chapter 2, he says that he decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the answer. What is it going to cost and who's going to pay it? Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that's what Paul preached. That's what he was on about. And we are the same here. We're all about remembering Jesus, talking about Jesus, treasuring Jesus. And we talk about lots of different things. And we talk about a lot of different books of the Bible. But in whatever we're talking about, it's always connected to Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so today we're zooming in right on exactly that. Today I want us to turn our attention to the one who is on the cross. Who is Jesus? Because if we don't understand who is on the cross, then we will not understand the cross. Because here's our big point for this afternoon. When you see Jesus on the cross, you see God on the cross because Jesus is God himself as a human. And if it's not God on the cross, then the cross does not help you. If it's not God on the cross, then the cross does not save you. On the cross, Jesus takes our penalty for our sin in our place on our behalf so that we don't have to. Our sins become his and he takes the consequences for them and his righteousness becomes ours and we receive the blessing and the benefits and the consequences of that. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at two reasons from the Bible why we need a God on the cross if the cross is going to help us. And what what we're going to see is that if Jesus is both totally human and totally God, then the cross helps us, the cross saves us. But if Jesus is just a human 
and he's not God, then the cross does not help us. So reason number one, the first reason why Jesus needs to be God as well as human is because if he's not, then his death is unjust. A perfect and innocent human taking the place of another, taking the price for another is enormously um, sacrificial. It is incredibly servant-hearted, but it's also profoundly immoral. Here's the verse to see it for yourself. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 15. Hopefully we'll put it on the screen, but you might want to jot that down and uh, look it up for yourself. Proverbs 17, 15, it says, Acquitting the guilty and condemning the just, both are detestable to the Lord. Now the phrase acquitting the guilty is another way to say Declaring the guilty, not guilty. When a person is guilty, but then they get away with it, you know, they're so clever that they can cover it up and no one ever catches them, or they're so rich that they can afford a fancy lawyer and they get away with it. When that happens, it says God detests that. Just like you do, just like I do. You see people who 100% did horrible things And because they're heaps rich and they have a nice lawyer, they just walk out free and like, you hate it, I hate it, God hates it. You know, your little brother does something wrong, 100% definitely wrong, but your parents don't punish him because he's the favourite and you hate it so much. Well, God detests it as well. And the opposite's also true. Condemning the just, condemning those who are innocent is equally wrong. When an innocent person is punished for something that they didn't do, that they didn't deserve, they did nothing wrong, it's not fair. It's not right. You know how at school sometimes someone in class would do the wrong thing and then the teacher didn't know exactly which one of us did it and so they just... They would say to the whole class, if the person who did that doesn't own up, then the whole class is going to be having to stay in at lunchtime. Did anyone ever have that happen to you? I don't know if it still happens. I can see there are like teachers in the room. It probably doesn't happen anymore. But back in my day, it happened all the time where you would have to stay in. That's, that's a war crime. <laughs> Collective punishment. If uh, when my kids are in primary school, I uh, taught them that next time that that happened, what they could do and what I would approve of them would be just to politely and respectfully put their hand up and say, "Um, excuse me, miss, but uh, that's actually a war crime under the 1949 Geneva Convention. So I don't know if they ever did that, but... But if they did, I would have backed them. (laughs) If there's a sin problem between me and God, and if God then ropes in some innocent third party who just happens to be walking past at the wrong place at the wrong time, and he punishes them instead, and they're named Jesus, 
even if Jesus is willing, he is still a third party to my issue between me and God. And if God punishes him, it's immoral. It's unjust. If Jesus is innocent, but he's, he is punished in my place, then this too is a miscarriage of justice. For the cross to be just, Jesus also cannot be an innocent third party. He must be already involved. That is, he must also be God himself. If Jesus is fully God, then he's no innocent third party who happens to be walking past, which means then there's nothing unethical about him paying the price. If a friend of mine, imagine, comes over to my house and they're not very good at estimating where their limbs are in space and they walk past and they knock my TV off the place where it is and it smashes on the floor. If that happens, then I have a couple of options available to me. I could either say, I forgive you, but you need to buy me a new TV. Or I can say, I forgive you and I will buy myself a new TV and you don't have to pay anything. Both of those options are totally ethical, nothing wrong with either one of them. The option that's not available to me is to say, neither of us are gonna pay for a new TV. Let's go outside and the next person who walks past walking their dog will make them buy me a new TV. Right? That's immoral. That's unjust. That's not an option that's available. And in the same way, if Jesus is a blameless, innocent third party, human but not God, then he, if he is condemned in my place, that's unjust and immoral. And Proverbs 17 says that God detests it. The point is that for Jesus, for his death for sins to be just, the innocent taking the place of those of us who are guilty, then he himself must be God. For him to pay the price, he can't just be a blameless human. He has to be God himself. He must be the offended party. Jesus is the judge judged in our place. Okay, so... Reason one why Jesus needs to be God for the cross to save us is because if he's not, then the cross is unjust. Reason number two is that if Jesus is only human, a perfect human, but only human, not God himself, then his death for us is insufficient. It's not enough. His death is not valuable enough to be able to pay for the sins of many. Psalm chapter 49. We had this one read out already for us. Psalm 49. It's one of those parts of the Bible that helps us to get the big picture of life. The point of the Psalm is basically, why should we fear rich people? Why should we fear powerful people? Because even the rich will die like an animal. That's the point of the Psalm. But uh, Psalm 49 from verse 5, the psalmist writes this. 
Why should I fear in times of trouble? The iniquity of my foes surrounds me. They trust in their wealth and they boast of their abundant riches. Yet these cannot redeem a person or pay his ransom to God. Since the price of redeeming him is too costly, one should forever stop trying so that he may live forever and not see the pit. For one can see that the wise die. The foolish and the stupid also pass away. Then they leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their permanent homes, their dwellings from generation to generation, though they have named estates after themselves. But despite his assets, mankind will not last. He is like the animals that perish. Then in verse 20, he sums it up again slightly differently. He says, mankind with his assets, but without understanding is like the animals that perish. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter if you're rich or poor or short or tall or ugly or beautiful or wise or foolish or whatever. Everyone will die like an animal. I'm no different. You're no different. We're all just in the queue to get a coffin. So that's a happy thought. Welcome to church, everyone. Good afternoon. But what's important for us is uh, verses 7 to 9, where the psalmist says, these, this wealth, these um, abundant riches... These cannot redeem a person or pay his ransom to God since the price of redeeming him is too costly. One should forever stop trying so that he may live forever and not see the pit. Imagine someone ran in here and they grabbed you and they dragged you out and they kidnapped you and took you away. And then they called us up and they said, you know, if you want them back, you need to pay. I mean, how, how much is your life worth? You know, they call us up and they say, we will give them back if you give us $10. And imagine if we went, uh, we'll have to call you back. <laughs> then we passed the hat around to see what we could do. Imagine that. No way. You are so valuable. You are extreme. Your life is extremely precious and you are extremely valuable. So, so valuable. And in terms of God's punishment for sin, which is death, there's no amount of money that you could pay that would get you eternal life. You can't buy your way out of death. It's You couldn't say, hey, God, I have this much. What do you reckon? And he won't say, well, you drive a hard bargain. Okay, you can live forever. That's not not how it works. I couldn't even substitute my life for you. I, I have my own sin that I need to pay for. I can't pay for yours. And hypothetically, if there was some perfect human who was willing to swap in for us, even though it would be unjust. If, if they wanted to, and if they did, they could swap in for one of us 
but not two of us and not all of us, just one for one. No one is rich enough for even just one person, let alone all of us. And so if Jesus is only a human, then his death for us is not adequate. It's not enough. Even if he was a great human, even if he was a perfect human. But verse 15 of Psalm 49, the psalmist knows the solution. He says, verse 15, but God will redeem me from the power of Sheol, for he will take me. The word Sheol just means death. And the word that God will redeem me, redeem just means to buy back at a price. The psalmist knows that God is rich enough. He doesn't know how he's going to do it. He doesn't know quite what the plan is, but he knows only God is infinitely rich, infinitely valuable enough to be able to redeem his life. Only God is rich enough to pay for us. If Jesus was only a perfect human, he could perhaps die in the place of one of us, but he couldn't ransom all of us who put our trust in him. No human can ransom another. The price is too costly. Never mind ransoming a countless multitude from every tribe and every tongue. No way. If Jesus is only human, then his death is not sufficient to pay the price. If Jesus is God in the flesh, however, then his death is valuable enough to ransom us and the world because his person is of infinite worth. So God has come into the world as a human, the infinite God, the, the infinitely worthy, infinitely valuable, infinitely powerful God has come into the world as a human. And when he does, what does he do? He dies for us. He dies for you. That's what he does. The cross is an absolutely amazing moment in human history. God himself has done something for us that we could never do for ourselves at great cost to himself. And maybe you're here at church and you've not really ever thought about these kind of things. Maybe you've come to church for ages, maybe not very long, but you've never thought about these things. These are big thoughts. And maybe you're not quite sure what you should do next. Maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for ages, years and years, maybe even decades. And perhaps tonight has given you a renewed appreciation of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ and him crucified. That you would leave here appreciating, treasuring him more than when you came in, that would be a great thing. Maybe you have grown this afternoon in your confidence that this news about Jesus and his crucifixion is actually good and it actually makes sense. Maybe you've grown in your confidence that it can be explained 
and it can be shared with the people that you care about. Maybe you've, you're here and you've never really wanted much to do with God and never really wanted much to do with Christianity and all those kind of things, but, but it's beginning to make sense. And perhaps for you, the pieces are, are beginning to kind of lock into place. This is what God has done for you. He himself has taken the price, the judge judged in our place. And so his death for us is both just and sufficient. And so maybe you're here and the thing to do is for you to put your trust in him for the first time. Maybe that's you. Maybe the thing for you is to see Jesus and his crucifixion, not just as a thing that happened, but as a thing that happened for you. And that he's perhaps not just a king, but that he's the king and that he's your king. And so maybe there'll be some things that you don't yet do that you're going to have to start doing. And maybe there's some things that you currently do that you're going to have to stop doing. But for all of us in this room, whether you've been around this kind of stuff for ages and ages or not very long and whether we know heaps of things or we don't know very many things, either way, what we've seen here this afternoon is that the God of the whole universe is the God on the cross. And it's the only way that it could be. If the cross is going to help us, if the cross is going to save us, which it does, then it has to be God. Otherwise, it's unjust and it's insufficient. We preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because if we don't understand who is on the cross, then we will not understand the cross. And if we do not see that Jesus is totally God for us, then the cross will be unjust and insufficient. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the Lord Jesus and him crucified and all that it is and all that it means for us. And Father, we do pray for each one of us in this room that you would help us to see Jesus and see the cross more clearly, that we would, that we'd understand and that we would appreciate and that we would have confidence in him and his cross. And Father, we ask for each one of us that you would help us to trust him as king and our king. And Father, we pray that in his name. Amen.